This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hi, I'm Terrence Mathis, former Steelers wide receiver. You're listening to SteelerNation.com podcast. Hello, Steeler Nation. I'm your host, G Stryker, and welcome to your SteelerNation.com podcast. Today, we got to chat with one of our former Pittsburgh Steeler alumni wide receivers, the all-pro, pro bowler, Terrence Mathis. Terrence, welcome to the show. Where are you living currently? Oh, thank you for inviting me on. I am huh? in Georgia right now, in the Atlanta area, yes. Nice. This is home. That, that, that is home. I know that's your home state. And I know um, this is also like a really crazy time that we're living in right now. So what's a normal day for you and your family like right now? Well, you know, uh, we, we're doing everything necessary to stay safe. Mm-hmm. You know, we get our ex- exercise in whatsoever, but we spend a lot of time together. We take long rides and go back down memory lane a little bit. So, nice. you know, it's it's been, you know, a lot of people are saying, you know, they have cabin fever whatsoever, but, you know, at the same time, you know, I'm getting to be with my family. You know, we yeah. always on the go. Yeah. I have a daughter in college son is a senior that's graduated he graduated this week congratulations you know, my wife and my wife is a pharmacist so she's in and out yeah. you know uh, quite a bit so you know it's you know it's, it's a good time mm-hmm. you know the thing is we we have strong faith and and if we're if we're we're smart about everything we know we're safe perfect oh that's great that's a great way to live too and it's a great way to think of it as a positive because that's the way I always try to spin this as well, because I've got a seven-year-old that I get to spend all the time in the world with, which is fantastic. When I'm not prepping for podcasts, obviously, and doing my work for uh, for my business, but it's wonderful. It's a blessing in disguise to have that extra time with your family. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I, I went back to school a little bit this semester with my son, you know, helping him with his work. And yeah. I even uh, I, I helped him flunk a quiz. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then after that, I said I'm not doing it no more. So I got my daughter on it to help him, and okay. and it was fine. Okay, good. <laughs> Do you remember what the course was or, or what the subject was that your son was taking? I don't remember. I cannot remember because it it had my mind spinning, and I thought I was smarter. I thought I was smarter than the 12th grade. No, right. <laughs> Well, heck, I mean, I'm my daughter's in first grade, and I'm trying to help her with her math stuff, and I still barely understand that. So I feel you, man. (laughs) So, are there any specific projects that you're involved in right now? No, not 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 right now. You know, of course, you know, I still have a passion for football and a passion for coaching. Yes. Um, I I stepped down at Pinecrest Academy Mm -hmm. uh, last month. And, you know, right now I've got some things going on, you know, some opportunities that, that I'm looking at to continue my coaching career. Great. Great. And were you, what was your position then at the academy? 
I was the head football coach there. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. For three years. Yeah. And, and you know football, man. <laughs> I mean, you had a long, long, long career in the NFL. You were drafted by the Jets in the sixth round in 2002. So what was it like for you starting your NFL career in the Big Apple? You know what? It was, uh, you know, it was, it was intimidating at first mm-hmm. because, you know, you, you know all about the New York media and, yeah. and you know, the New York people, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're blue collar people and, and they hard hats. And the thing is, if they love you, they love you. They hate you. They hate you. There's no in between. It ain't like one day, ah, I think I'm going to love him. Nope. If they don't love you, they ain't going to love you no matter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and you know what? And I grew up a lot those four yeah. years there. You have to have thick skin because, you know, you're going to make mistakes and you're going to hear about it. The media is going to, you're going to hear from, from the media and from the fans. But, you know, the thing is, you know, they respect that you, you work hard and you do well and, and you keep your nose clean, and they respect that. And you know, I was I was one of those guys that you know did what I was supposed to do, and and every once in a while I gave them a wild play. So yeah. they kind of they yeah. kind of loved me a little bit from for that. And, and that's big too. You know, coming into the league, the sixth, seventh round, undrafted. You know, you've got to make your mark on special teams to get those opportunities, and you really made the most of those touches in New Jersey because, or sorry, for the New York for the New York Jets who actually played in the Meadowlands in New Jersey, but that were played in New Jersey. Yes. <laughs> but what I, but the interesting part was, you know, you got to cut your teeth on special teams. You were very, very successful. So what was it like playing special teams starting out to make a name for yourself? Well, you know, when you, when you get drafted, especially when you get drafted in the sixth round, and I think there was a couple of was drafted before me on the roster. And then, you know, when you're expected to get drafted higher than what you did, uh, your first thing is, I'm going to make the team. And how you how you want to make the team, mm-hmm. I, I said, I have to make it in returning punts and kickoffs, and hopefully I can be the third or fourth receiver um, yeah. for the for the squad. And it, and it turned out for me. You know, it, it, it's funny because I wasn't – I was a kick returner my senior year in college, yeah. not really a punt returner. Okay. But I made – I made my name as a punt returner in yeah. New York. That's not right. <laughs> you know, returning that 98 yards for for team record. So, nice. You know, but the thing was is that if you wanted to be on the field, you had to find a way to be on the field. Yeah, and you also got to play all four years with Coach Bruce Coslin. So what was it like playing for Bruce then those four years? Well, Bruce was Bruce was very – patient with me. Mm-hmm. He allowed me to grow. He wasn't afraid or, or uh, of putting me in. The, the good thing about Bruce, he, I had a set of plays that I just, I knew were my plays. Yeah. And when I went into the game, I knew that, you know, that play was going to be called for me. And, and, and that's what made it, made it really kind of easy as transition that sometimes I did start because of injury or whatsoever. Yeah. But I knew, you know, on third down what the play was and where the ball was going. Nice. Then after your four years in New York, you're 
contract was up, you became a free agent, and you went to play for the Atlanta Falcons. So how nice was it for you to return and play pro football in the state that you grew up in? Well, it was it was nice. You know, I wanted to return to New York because, you know, that's when you go to a team, that's where you want to finish. You want to play your career there. Yeah. But, you know, when, I, when full free agency came out, a lot of people came calling. And, and I took a lot of a lot of visits, and then when the Falcons called me, I was like, I get a chance to go home and play, and um, that was huge. For me. That was very huge for me. And that year, you was your first year there. You're in Atlanta, and you're playing with great players on that team. That was a really stacked offensive team. Um, Andre Risen being the biggest name at the time at wide receiver, who was a legend and for the Falcons and held all the receiving records at the time when you joined. And what was it like then playing and learning the game alongside a great player like Andre? Well, you know, um, Andre set the tempo for everything. You know, Andre had great hands. People don't realize this guy had great hands and yeah. great routes. Yeah. He, was, he had deceptive speed and quickness. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we all learned a lot from him. And, and you know, I always – I always say that uh, to be successful, you got to have that one guy in your meeting room that's the lead dog that everybody wants to be like or yeah. be better than. Yeah. And Andre was that guy. Yes. Yeah. And now that whole offense, I mean, you had a very offensive minded coach that season that, you know, a, a lot of people don't remember um, uh, your coach that year, but. You had great players up and down the board. I mean, Jeff George came in also to play. You had Eric Pegram and Ironhead Hayward running the ball. You're receiving, yeah. Your receivers were stacked. I mean, Ricky Sanders, Bert Emanuel, you, Ryzen. How did you end yeah. up leading that team in touchdowns, yards, and receptions in your first year, man? <laughs> you know, I, you know there's, there's a couple of things that happened. Um, first of all, I think um, – Jeff George gained trust in me. And, you know, after the years, after, we, you know, I retired and got a chance to, to be with June Jones doing some other things. And, yeah. and we talked and, and, and he used to answer the question. Um, he used to say, well, you know, if he was the hot hand and I was going to keep feeding the hot hand. Yeah. And, and that's what June, that's how that offense was. If you wow. were the hot guy that, that day, he was going to keep beating you. Yeah. And it just, it happened for 16 weeks, I guess. <laughs> so uh, it, was, it, was, it was a blessing. You know, yeah. it was just, just, just the trust of your, your head coach, offensive coordinator, June Jones, and your quarterback, Jeff George. Nice. And you had a hell of a run there in Atlanta. Obviously, long career there. You ended up passing your mentor, Andre Risen, there in the record books to become the Falcons' all-time leader in receptions and touchdowns. So what sticks out for you the most when you think back on your career in Atlanta? Well, um, a number of things. You know, the, the, the way I came to Atlanta and, and had the year that I had, I didn't think anybody expected that, you know, um, I wasn't, you know, I was surprised, but I wasn't surprised because I prepared for that, you know, and I was ready for that, and I was hungry for that. But, you know, I just think about, you know, uh, the relationships, you know, not only in the locker room, but in the city whatsoever. And then, then that 98 season, which was magical, where we went to the, beat the uh, Mighty Vikings. Yep. 
uh, yep, that and, year in the MLB championship they, game and, yep. and getting the opportunity to play in the Super Bowl. I, you know, you look at there's a number of things that over those eight years in Atlanta that, that you can look at, but, mm. you know, it was just a wonderful time, wonderful, wonderful time. Yeah, and that was a beautiful team as well, and I remember that big Gary Anderson kick that was missed, and you guys took your opportunity and took that to the Super Bowl, and you had a great Super Bowl as well. I remember your touchdown in that game as well. So what was it? Well, thank you. It was. So what was it like for you to play? What was, in, what was it like for you then to play in the Super Bowl? I mean, that's what every athlete wants to do in the NFL, and most athletes don't get a chance to do. So what was your experience well, like? It was a dream come true. When you're six, seven years old playing at the park and, you know, you're playing in the street or whatever you're doing with your friends, you always talk about playing in the Super Bowl, catching the touchdown to win the game yeah. whatsoever. And then finally getting the opportunity to play actually in the Super Bowl. And like you said, a lot of guys have played a lot of years, and there's some Hall of Famers that yeah. have not played in the Super Bowl. And I had the yeah. opportunity to play in the Super Bowl, and it was, it was just wonderful. Oh, great. And then you were a free agent in 2012. What made you choose then to come to Pittsburgh to play football? Um, actually, actually, I was released. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was, and it was, it, I, it wasn't a choice to become a free agent. Oh, gotcha. I was forced to become a free agent. Okay. And that was that was the 2002 season. Yes. That was my last year. Mm -hmm. So, um. You know, number teams called, Pittsburgh called, um, wanted me to come in and um, you have a workout. It was an amazing workout because Jerome Bettis, Heinz uh, Ward, wow. Cordell Stewart, Wayne yeah. Gandy, um, Joey Porter, and a couple other guys was at that workout. Wow. And I, and I ran about... Uh, maybe four or five routes, uh -huh. and and I remember Cordell going up to uh, going up to Cowher and said, "Sign him now." <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and that's how I, that's how it happened. Wow. Yeah. Well, well, you always knew how to run routes. I mean, that's one of the things I remember about your game the most. You're very fast. You're very quick in and out in your breaks. Your routes were. You know, your footwork and the way that you would feign you're going one way and get the defensive back to lean on the opposite leg and then just burst the other way. I mean, you were just you just always set up your roots really well to get open in the league. So that's a, a high amount of respect for the Steelers to notice that just off of a few throws. Well, thank you. Thank <laughs> you. And, you know, it was wonderful coming to Pittsburgh because, you know, again, you grow up a Steelers fan. You know, I love John Starworth, Lynn Swan, Franco Harris. Mm. And getting the opportunity to meet those was like, wow. <laughs> I was like a kid again, you know, and, and it's awesome. You know, it was it was, it was was a really awesome time. Terry Bradshaw and all those guys, Mean Joe. Yeah. You know, it was one of those things that you had their football cards when you were young, mm. and now you, you're playing on a – you know, one of the greatest franchise in history of, of professional football. And it was, it was, it was amazing. It was just, it was one of those things that, you know, you can say that, hey, I got a chance to play for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Mm, that's a, a great story. Do you remember your training camp? Were you, did, did you guys play at St. Vincent's in Latrobe for your training camp? Yes. 
So yeah. what, what was it like that experience? Yeah. Because I know with the Steelers, it's kind of like almost like a college experience because you stay in the dorms and then you're playing on the field. So how did that preseason feel to you, or at least how did that training camp feel to you as opposed to training camp for Atlanta or training camp for the Jets? Uh, Training camp in Pittsburgh, I couldn't believe how long it was, and I couldn't believe how many straight days we practiced. (laughs) I wasn't used to that. (laughs) I wasn't used to that. I was like, oh, my God, I'm 33 years old, and I'm going (laughs) – what is this? I, I was like I was a rookie again the way we practiced. Wow. But uh, that that was the Pittsburgh way. But you know what? Mm-hmm. What made training camp really amazing was Plexico Burst. Oh, really? You know, that year, he, he came into his own that year. You, yeah. you got to remember that spring, his mother passed away. Oh, yes. And, yeah. uh, you know, he just – and when I got there, Mike Malarkey and – you know, it was like, hey, this kid, you know, he, he's having a hard time and, you know, he's, he's undisciplined in his routes and he's, mm-hmm. he's not just, you know, and I said, okay. And, you know, I had, I had an opportunity to, um, to um, mentor him. And it was, it was, it was, it was really, really amazing Wow, how, um, how it all happened. And that was he. He ended up having a, a a pretty big year that year too. And I mean, that's a a, a yeah. testament to. Should have went to the Pro Bowl that year. He should have yeah. went to the Pro Bowl that. That's that's the kind of year he had. He should have went to the Pro Bowl. And you had a a lot of. And now it's odd too because this is, you know, you coming into a a new training camp. You were a, a veteran for over a decade, then, so you know you didn't have to get a ramp up on what it's like to for the whole training camp experience but you, since you're already an accomplished receiver so how did the team treat you and who helped you feel the most welcome when you first got there to Pittsburgh um Cordell was the one and uh, he was he was he was awesome I stayed with him you know a few days while I was there um, until I found my place and it, you know, uh, high, you know, it's it's funny. Funny story uh-huh. is this: um, Hines Ward and I got off to a rocky start right away. Wow! And and it was funny. Uh-huh. It, yeah, this, this true story, and and only a few people know this story, <laughs> is that Hines and I got off to a rocky start right away. And you know, and I can understand. You know, I've been in the league for a while, and. Mm-hmm. And we play the same position yeah. whatsoever. And I can understand his, his mindset. Mm-hmm. And I remember calling my wife during training camp. I said, if this dude say one more thing to me, I'm going to hit him in the mouth. <laughs> and, my wife said, and my wife said to me, she said, uh, don't you hit him in the mouth. Pray for him. And, she, and I prayed for him. And his locker, when we were, you know, we got back to the, to, um, the facility, his locker was right next to mine. Yeah. So I used to, I used to. It's this true story. Nobody. Knows. This is a true story. I used to take. Uh, I used to, my my wife gave me gave me some holy water, so I would take it, and I would mark a cross. I would mark a cross over his locker and 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 bless his locker before he got in every day. Oh, so nice. we were, so we would sit in there, and I would I would read my I would read my Bible in front of you know at my locker. And then one day he asked me, "What are you reading?" Mm-hmm. And I would tell him. And and then he would ask me every morning, 
He says, hey, what's the word for the day? What's the word for the day? Mm. And then something amazing happened. Uh-huh. We played we played the Jets in the preseason, right? Yeah. And so watch me get dressed. And so I got my oil, and I put it on my shoes, Yeah. both shoes. I put it on my hands, and I rubbed it on my head. Mm-hmm. And so I got in the game with about two minutes left yeah. uh, before half, and I caught like, I think it was like, Five balls for 124 yards wow. in less than two minutes. Wow! And uh, and 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 then it then um then the next game huh? they watch me him and Flex go watch me again and Hines come <laughs> over to my locker and put his hands out and says put some of that on my hands. <laughs> so so every game they would come to my locker and I'll put holy oil on their hands and on their foreheads. Oh, and they had remarkable years. So, and then we became really, really close after that. You know, Hines is my dude. You know, I love him to death. Nice. The Reverend Terrence Mathis blessing the Steelers before <laughs> the game. That is a beautiful story. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, he tried, he started trusting me. And I remember another game we were, we were in Tennessee and hmm. the first play was to him and, and we wanted to, we wanted to make it a touchdown. Yeah. So, it was a big play. We wanted to score early in the game. So right after the national anthem, Hines, he, he says to me, he says, if it was you, how would you run this route? Mm-hmm. And I say, all right, in these scenarios, this is what you do. This scenario, you do this. In this scenario, you do that. So both the scenario came up. He ran the route, <laughs> caught the ball, and scored on the first play of the game. Wow. <laughs> and I remember and he, that game. <laughs> We hugged and we jumped and everything oh, else. So, nice. you know, it's just, you know, he just, he trusted me. Yeah. yeah he yeah. trusted me for that. Yeah. And, and that's great, too, because you've gotten to play with so many great receivers and you being a great receiver yourself, too. I mean, going from Andre Risen and then coming in and with – with Ward and Burris also, I mean, geez, back in, in like I said, um, Sanders, and I mean, that guy's a legend as well in the Washington yeah. area, too. And, yeah. and so, I mean, I it's, Eric Metcalf it, yes, a couple of years. that's right. Metcalf came yeah. over after the uh, the Browns to come play with you guys, and he had some great seasons. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. we had good players, you know, we, we play, I played with some good guys, and then it didn't, you know, it didn't hurt when I went to the Pro Bowl and you had, uh, uh-huh. Jerry Rice, Michael Irvin, and Chris Carter. Wow. Right? <laughs> but, uh, and you had Steve Young, Troy Aikman, and Warren Moon at quarterback. Oh. I mean, just amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. E- every receiver's dream. And I, I played receiver also yeah. in school, but I, obviously I'm not fast enough or good enough to, to make it to the pros or even college. But I, I played my fair share of flag. But it's nothing near what you guys had to put yourself through day in and day out and truly, truly – you know, commit yourself right. to the game. So, but it, it uh, but I love yeah. love watching receivers. Always been my favorite position, especially Jerry Rice. I mean, that's a that's a, that's a man that yeah. you always grew up loving and respecting. And that's how I got into yeah. Andre Risen yeah. too in his game because I love both of their hands, the way that they went up and, and caught balls and, and ran roots. So, like you're saying, right? Great hands. Yeah, both of them. <laughs> so that's fantastic. So. You're on another talented team then with Ward and Plexco and Bettis and Randall L. Uh, what was it like then playing yeah. playing with them that season? Well, you know, I, it was it was one of those things that it was a very talented team, but I don't think they knew how talented they were. Yeah, I don't think 
I, I think it was a bunch of talented guys mm-hmm. that, and, and I'm gonna be honest with you, it yeah. was a bunch of talented guys that um, had to learn to work together. Yeah, you know, and that's why we kind of struggled early. Um, but you know, it, it all came together. You know, um, it, it was funny because Tower uh, and I became kind of close during that year. He would, after each game, before we go into our meetings, he would pull me in his office and kind of grill me like I was a consultant. What do you think? This and that. And I, and I remember telling him, and this is when we went on, I think, about a six or seven game winning streak or something like that yeah. at that time. And before that, I had told him, I said, uh, I, he says, what do you think? I said, Coach, this is what I think. Mm-hmm. I said, we can't get up on teams and then take our foot off the pedal. Yeah. I said, because we can't be winning, barely winning games in the fourth quarter or losing, barely, you know, losing close games in the fourth quarter. Yeah. We got to keep playing football. And hey, if they, they're professionals too, their yeah. job is to stop us, not our job to stop ourselves. And then we went on a, we went on a winning streak that was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and and then you see, we end up winning the, the division, the division, and getting mm. into the playoffs. Yeah, and that was like another slow start year, and then you went down the last ten games. Yeah. I think you only lost two. That was actually twelve games yeah. or so. You, you only lost two. That was an yeah. incredible, incredible run. Um, yeah, that was a great run. And you had two really talented quarterbacks with you too, from from Pittsburgh's memory as well, with Cordell Stewart and Tommy Maddox. Can you describe? Yes. What's the difference between receiving a football from from each of those guys? Well, um, uh, Cordell had a little more velocity on his ball than Tommy. Um, Tommy was a more timing guy. Yeah, you know, because he knew his arm wasn't that strong, so Mm -hmm. you knew what Tommy was was this is that he's gonna throw it on time, and you better be where you're supposed to be. <laughs> yep, and and then with Cordell, his his timing got better, uh-huh. um, but you know he was one of those who had a strong arm, and he knew that he could be a tick late, and the ball could still get there. Yeah, nice. So that was the difference between the two. Very cool, yeah. and and I know you guys yeah. made that incredible run at the end. You made the playoffs, and you played in one of the most exciting Steeler games that I can remember, and that was the Cleveland Brown playoff game where you guys were down big in the half. And we, as Steeler fans, we heard that Tommy Maddox blew up and had something to say in the locker room, but none of us ever got to hear what exactly what it was. Do you remember what Tommy said to you guys in that locker room? I I really don't. But, (laughs) you know, um, Tommy Tommy wasn't a guy who was one to express his feelings. But when he did, and he's – you know, actually, if you take all the coaches out of the locker room, the next leader in the locker room is your quarterback. Yeah. So when when he went off and got upset and everything else, uh, guys rallied around it, mm. you know, and, and and that's what they're supposed to do. You, you got to understand, that was a young football team. Yeah. It was a really, really young football team, and most of those guys were just coming into their own besides Jerome. Yeah. But everybody else. And Tommy was, you know, Tommy was long in two. Yep. But, and then it was myself. But yeah. everybody else, were, that, was, that was a young football team. So, you know, mm. when you're a young football team, 
and you haven't been in those kind of situations before, you tend to look at somebody else and wait for them to, to do something to get you going. And, and that happened. Tommy got hot. We got hot. And I remember because I played a lot in that second half and we got on a roll and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden everybody picked it up and there it was. We were back in the game and we won the game. Yeah. <laughs> That's a fantastic story. So, Looking back, at least on your year in Pittsburgh, what would be your most memorable play as a Steeler? Ooh, oh man, I don't know. Um, I you know I, I I know you know what I think it wasn't one play. Uh-huh. I think it, it, it was that it was the um, the playoff game against Tennessee. In Tennessee, um, yes. Plexico went down with an injury, mm-hmm. and I got a chance to play a lot and mm-hmm. and played well and moved the ball and kept us in the game. And I, that was probably the most because it, it told me that I can still play at a high level during a high-intensity game. Yeah. And, you know, my thing is, you know, playoffs, I just can't come off the playoffs, you know, playing in the Super Bowl a few years later. So yeah. that wasn't anything to me. And, you know, the thing was, I was hungry to get to another Super Bowl. So I was going to do anything necessary to help us win that football game. And just unfortunately, we didn't win it in yeah. overtime. Yeah, that was a that was an amazing game as well. And a, and a crushing game from a Steeler fan perspective, but still an, an amazing competition between two great players. They're two great teams with a lot of great players on each side. So, yeah. uh, you know, McNair yeah. and George on the other side, I mean, they were a fantastic team as well. But um, – but, yeah, it was just unfortunate that it came up to the kicks and it seemed like they were moving the ball before yeah. the snap each time so that we were jumping off sides. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so that was yeah. an interesting, interesting uh, play, which now I don't think that's legal anymore. But uh, but so right. thank you very much, at least, for sharing this your Steelers experience and your NFL experience. Now, you being from the South, did you always also have a love for NASCAR? <laughs> You know what? No, <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't. I did not like. I did not like NASCAR. Uh-huh. I had no, no, no one to have any dealing with NASCAR. I said, "What is the catch of these cars going six hundred, traveling six hundred miles in a circle, yeah. or whatever it might be for that race?" Yeah. I said, "I just don't get it. I, I, who would ever watch this?" Mm-hmm. And then something happened. Uh. I went to a race mm-hmm. in Darlington, yeah. and when I I was in the pit area, not in the pit area, I was in the garage area, and mm-hmm. the cars were testing, and I was going, what is that noise? Yeah. And I ran to the fence, and I was watching these cars going over 170, 80 miles per hour, and I'm like, what? <laughs> and I'm in the garage and I'm watching these guys doing these things. And I was in the pit area watching them yeah. um, doing all that stuff. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I, said, I, couldn't, I couldn't believe it. Mm. It was it was amazing. And I fell in love. Wow. And then you were involved in NASCAR for quite a few years then after the NFL. Can you can you tell us at least what your experience is like um, for the, for the, the, the opportunities that you had with NASCAR? Well, you know, it was, you know, it was, it was amazing because of the fact that the way I got into it was I, w- I had a marketing company 
mm-hmm. and then NASCAR has started a, a diversity, you know, drive for diversity, and we wanted to be their their diversity marketing team in Georgia in the South. And then, you know, I ran into a couple of people and, and owners of teams, and they said, have you ever thought about being an owner or have anybody who knows, you know, that's high profile that wanted to be an owner? So we tried to put this, collaborate with a couple of guys and put a team together. And then finally, um, I fell into the spot of being a uh, 50% owner of McClure Racing. Yeah. And then uh, then I went off on my own mm-hmm. and was was doing very well of of putting together sponsorship packages and and and, and that sort. But yeah, I'm telling you, in NASCAR, uh, big fish gonna eat little fish all day. Yeah, yeah. So once once big, once big fish knows that you got to nibble with a with a company, mm-hmm. they're gonna go get you, and and you can't survive. Yeah, when you're one car team, so what you have to do is kind of partnership mm-hmm. with a team that's already surviving. Yeah. So that was year three when I did that, mm-hmm. and um, it just didn't work out. You know, the mm-hmm. reason it didn't work out, let me tell you, NASCAR is a 24-7 thing, yeah. and it's, it's about traveling, and, and I couldn't do that. You know, I had, you know, kids in school that were young, and I couldn't do it. I couldn't do all the traveling, and yeah. I just couldn't, I couldn't put the time in that was needed. Yeah, yeah no, I, I understand that, and it's... I don't know if you follow it now, too, but it's interesting seeing NASCAR come back and racing without fans. Do you think that the NFL is going to be able to play football games this year? You know what? I'm, I'm going to say something that's probably going to be controversial about NASCAR <laughs> and its fans. Uh-huh. But I'm going to tell you something. It doesn't matter. You know what? It may affect the drivers by saying, wow, there's no fans. But they don't have time to worry about who's in the stands because they're yeah. going 190, 200 miles per hour, yeah. three, three deep, yeah. side by side, bumper to bumper. Yeah. So you know they can't say, "Oh, look at that person in the stands; they're acting crazy." <laughs> then and then at the then at the same time, the TV don't don't pan the crowd anyway. Yeah. They always own the cars because guess what? That's where all the money is. Yeah. That's where all the advertising money is. Yeah. So the advertising money is not in the stands for NASCAR. So, you know, yes, the fans are missing out because they're not getting the opportunity to do that. But at the end of the day, it's not hurting NASCAR because the cameras are on the cars anyway because that's where all the money is. Mm. Now, for football, basketball, mm. baseball, and all that, that's going to be tough. Yeah. That's that's really really tough because that's where you get your energy from. Yeah. Even in golf, that's where you mm. get your energy from. Mm. And and the thing is, it's you know being the quietness in the stadium, it's just humdrum. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You you need that energy. You need that crowd noise. Even if you're on the road and you're hearing booze and all that stuff, that is it's that it's that extra energy that you need. Mm-hmm. To, to really, I'm not saying it motivates you because mm-hmm. you should be self-motivated when you're professional, but it's just something about that electricity that just keeps you going. Yeah, especially giving you that extra energy there in the fourth quarter where you know you're tired and you're giving it your all, and it's and that crowd right. starts screaming for you, especially in Pittsburgh. And I know Atlanta's got some big fans in that. And yeah. did they have the dome back then yeah. too when you were playing? 
Yeah. Yeah. Who was in the Georgia Dome? That place was playing. loud. Yeah. <laughs> they could really yeah. get going to but, that dome. Look, there's nothing like them terrible towels, though, in Heinz Field. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> that is something special to watch. That is something special, especially with big games. Uh-huh. That is some Monday night, Sunday night, Thursday night games. Oh, my God. That is special. Mm. And did you have a terrible towel, too, then when you were growing up? I I didn't have one. Mm-hmm. But I have I have one somewhere now <laughs> in my house. But, nice. You know, it was it, you know the, the thing I love about Pittsburgh and, and 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 its fans is this: when you go to Heinz Field, it's Pittsburgh. It's when you walk around the city, it's the Steelers. It's not you know it's not like here in Atlanta where you can see a Cowboy jersey, you can see a Jet jersey, you can see a Tampa Bay, a Saints jersey, <laughs> yeah. or something else. You don't, you don't see that in Pittsburgh. <laughs> it's diehard, nosebleed fans, dedicated fans in Pittsburgh. That's what I love about the city. And it also helps, too, that all three teams are the same colors. So you have that black and gold, yeah. no matter what, all yeah, over the city. <laughs> Yeah, you don't have to change anything. Yeah, and that's great. So now we're at the point of the podcast where we start taking questions from Steeler Nation. So this is where our SteelerNation.com forum members get to ask questions for our guests. And Slash Steel had a question for you. He said, I see you were once in a, the Falcons Man of the Year uh, for your on and off field con- contributions. What was the charity that you were involved with then, and are you involved with anything now? It was the Terrence Love Children Foundation, which I started uh, years ago. And what we did was we just provided meals and support for unprivileged families in, in the city of Atlanta. Nice. Um, we, we did a number of things, man. A number of things that people didn't even know we did, you know. Uh, you know, my wife and I, we, we've done turkeys. We've done breakfast with Santa. Uh, we've done a lot of things. In, in the community here and you know it's home and you know my mom always told me don't forget where you come from yeah yeah and i got another question here from drink iron city he said who would you say is your biggest mentor in life that led to your success <laughs> my mother and uh, <laughs> she passed away in, in july oh uh, past last and she was she was it you know the sacrifices she made way she worked to make sure we had everything we needed to be successful which we didn't need a whole lot because we didn't have a whole lot mm, yeah. uh, the way she raised me the things she's saying to me, you know you look back i look back today and and go wow you know and i'm still i'm saying the same things to my children oh, saying the same things to the team that you know i coach mm. and um she's you know of course you know you will you know, a lot of people would say, well, it has to be a, another athlete whatsoever. And it has been. Mm-hmm. It's been a number of them, from, from Doug Williams to Michael Jordan to Eric Dickerson. Yeah. It's, you know, like I said, from John Starworth to, you know, guys, you know. But, you know, I didn't get a chance to, to, to play with any of those and really be around those. But, you know, from some of my teammates, from Ironhead Hayward to Camille mm-hmm. Bennett, mm-hmm. uh you know, to some of those guys that, that was really, really in my corner when I needed them. You know, I, nice. and I think, that, and it, let, me, let me say this, the, the one person that helped me become a professional was Ronnie Locke. Oh, wow. My fourth year in New York. Yeah, my fourth 
year in New York. He came to New York, and mm-hmm. we became really close. And he helped me become a professional. Uh, we had an amazing relationship. Everybody we used, to, used to say I was his son, <laughs> the way he treated me. Oh, <laughs> nice. And he's a heck of a guy to go up against, too. And I'm sure he's giving you pointers on things that are tough for him to defend. Yeah. And then you get to work against an, yeah. a, a Hall of Famer. That is an amazing, amazing yeah. thing to do. We we could all yeah. be so lucky, Terrence. <laughs> uh, thank you. No worries. And, I, I mean, it was also a blessing, too, because I remember the story that came out right before you played in the Super Bowl. It, we you had the big media uh, week that week. And I remember a story that your your mother had breast cancer at the time. And wasn't didn't she just beat breast cancer right before the Super Bowl? Yes. She had um, a week, uh, a week before the Super Bowl, two weeks before the Super Bowl, she had surgery, uh, the breast cancer surgery, uh-huh. and uh, and you know, it was nice that she was there for the Super Bowl. Mm. So she got a chance to be playing the Super Bowl, which was amazing. Oh, that's beautiful. That is beautiful. Yeah. So. Thank you very much for being part of this. I mean, we're blessed to have you today, and and thank you for giving us all of your Steeler knowledge and football knowledge because you have been around the league and you have been very open to share all of your information with Steeler Nation. So I thank you personally very much for being on the show today, Terrence. Well, thank you for having me. You're welcome, and and I'm going to always remember my time in Pittsburgh, and I'm going to always root for Pittsburgh. I love Coach Tomlin. I love what he's doing and what he's about. And, and I'm, I'm looking for success from them, from them guys this year. Nice. It, do you ever have you reached out and spoken with Ironhead's son, Cameron Hayward? You know what? I've, I've run into him pretty much, but you know, it's so funny. I just seen the youngest one, Connor, yeah. who plays at Michigan State. I, was, I just seen him Tuesday. Wow. And I told him, I said, I remember I, I remember when you was a babe, barely walking. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. That, and now they're giant men. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, that's exactly. beautiful. So, But just so you know, once a Steeler, always a Steeler to Steeler Nation. We're proud of you and your accomplishments, not only as a Steeler, but as a Falcon. And we look forward to you, what you're going to accomplish the rest of your life, too. And if you need anything, give us a call back or give me a text, and we'd love to have you back on the show, man. Hey, man, thank you, and God bless you and Steeler Nation. God bless you as well. Steeler Nation, you've got to you. follow Terrence Mathis on social media. His Twitter, at the Real Mathis. that's at T-H-E-R-E-A-L-M-A-T-H-I-S. Instagram is at Terrence Mathis, that's T-E-R-A-N-C-E-M-A-T-H-I-S, one R in Terrence. And you, too, can get geared up on the SteelerNation.com gear page. Show your Steeler Nation pride with a hoodie, T-shirt, or coffee mug. All items are customizable and color co- and change your color, and we have a size to fit any fan. SteelerNation.com is the best site for fast, unique Steeler content on the Internet. Click on the podcast button to listen to one of our many interviews, like this one right here, or click the forum button for the best football discussion on the internet. Subscribe to the Steeler Nation YouTube channel to be the first to know about our live vidcasts and video uploads. Tweet us at Steeler Nation or follow us on Instagram at SteelerNation.com. And you can also now follow the podcast on Twitter at underscore SN Podcast. And follow your host as well. 
Steeler Nation Striker on Twitter and Instagram at SN Striker. And Striker is spelled with a Y. Thanks for joining us for the SteelerNation.com podcast. I'm your host, G Striker, with Terrence Mathis, rooting along with you as always. Go Steelers! <laughs>